Ah, crap, I don't have the cool drum music. Hi, everybody, it's Rebels Doug Jim sitting in for the Miranda Janelle who had to make an emergency trip to Anaheim, California with a ladder on her Volkswagen. Foom. Off she went because she had to return something. And what happened is I decided in my capacity as general manager of the Great American Broadcast Network, toot toot, I would sit in for her tonight, only tonight, and I am here, but I don't have the I don't have the updated music. I don't have that. I like that. That's my favorite part of the whole theme. And I know that makes Rin dance around the room all happy and everything like that. But uh, I am Rebel Stoke Jim, and I will be sitting here getting geeky for the next hour. Yeah, that's all I think I got for me in me is an hour. Uh, I also have a lot of Lagavulin, 16-year-old scotch, in me. And I don't mind. I'm actually feeling very geeky. The topic tonight, Batman. Simple as that. I'm Batman. Uh, that's how I feel the whole program should go. It should just be Batman. Uh, also, let's just, uh, technically now, I am, <laughs> I am queen for a day. That's right. I'm queen for a day. Right, Kitty? Here, Kitty, uh, <clears throat> I shouldn't, shouldn't I have a cat while I'm doing this program? I should have a kitty right beside me. Uh, Kitty brings me drinks. Kitty tells me when I'm misbehaving. Uh, Kitty, uh, Kitty sets me straight. And then when Kitty goes out the door, of course, uh, we all, we all get sad. And then we play the music. No beat. All right, there you go. I am. Uh, <laughs> I will be the king of Gabnet tonight. Hang on. I I only have one earring that I could bounce into my microphone. Hey, if you want to get in touch with me tonight, three four seven three five two zero zero seven nine is the Skype phone number. Coming up will be the uh, the Skype lines Gabnet live. If you want to give me a call. Let's, uh, let me just check something. What does Miranda do? Oh, I know what she does. Uh, let's, on this day in history, what is this day? I've lost track. It's September. It's the 3rd of September. And on this day, the American flag was flown in battle for the first time in 1777. During the Revolutionary War skirmish at Cooch's Bridge. <laughs> Cooch's Bridge? Really? Wow. Deposits happen. They're inevitable. But messy ending deposits don't Hang on. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, Cooch's Bridge. Where'd you get your medal? At the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. I also got... The clap at Cooch's Bridge. Uh, let's see what else happened on this day in history. I don't like that page. I have to find a better page. Here we go. We'll go over to here. 
September 3rd, 1189, the death of Henry II. Richard the Lionheart is crowned King of England. And you can choose your own Richard the Lionheart if you want. You can choose Patrick Stewart or you can choose Sean Connery, whichever one you want. Uh, let's see. Let's try to move it on up into uh, more contemporary times. 1969. Some of you will still have been alive in 69. Some of you won't. Uh, Ho Chi Minh, the leader of North Vietnam, died. Yeah, he was dead. Everybody got real sad. You know, Miranda makes this shit sound easy. Uh, I honestly don't know how she does this. Uh, let's see, what else happened? In 1989, the U.S. began shipping military aircraft and weapons to Colombia for use against that country's drug lords. Ooh, that's contemporary. Have you been watching Narco on Netflix? Ooh, good stuff. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, this just in. No, that doesn't make sense. Oh, who was born on this day? Actress Eileen Brennan, Golden Globe and Emmy Award winner for her role in the TV adaption Private Benjamin, was born. Oh, she's also dead. Al Jardine from the Beach Boys. 1942. I think he's dead. Hey, you know who turned 50 years old today? That's right. Defying the odds, Charlie Sheen turned 50 years old. And hey, I know somebody in the UK who turned 50 years, not 50, but it is her birthday today. 1981, she was born Fern Cotton, English radio and television presenter. You can catch her on Celebrity Juice with Keith Lemon if you uh, are a fan of English television. So, as I said, the uh, the lovely Miranda Janelle had to make an emergency trip. Nothing tragic, nothing, nothing horrible. But her dad, her dad needed his ladder, which he had loaned to Miranda. Which I I don't know why Miranda need a, needed a ladder, but she had to uh, she had to return it, and she just was not going to make it back in time from the uh, the two Southern California locations that she needed to occupy at the same time. If in fact she had been the doctor. She could have just stepped in the TARDIS and basically gone from one location to the other. Hell, she could have gone back to even before she borrowed the ladder from her dad. Oh, that's, that's, that's just, that's too much. That's messing with me now. Anyway, she just, and she sent out an emergency message on the special 
Queen of Gabnet, she projected a, a crown up into the sky, and I just happened to be looking out the window, and I saw it. <laughs> I saw this crown projected on the clouds above my log broadcasting center in Revelstoke, British Columbia, and I realized she was in trouble, just as I would respond if Damien was in trouble or Alex was in trouble, and I know they would return the favor if I was indeed in trouble. If I had been the victim of a random moosing, uh, I know people would step in and carry on for me because that is the uh, that is the, the way of of what happens here on the network. By the way, this program is brought to you tonight by the fine makers of single malt whiskey, Lagavulin, 16 years old. I'm enjoying it. Like I said, I'm going to open up the Skype lines because, frankly, I cannot do the Miranda bit. I just can't. She's just, she's just, she's unique. She's Miranda. Uh, yeah, that's right. But I will be back, and we will talk about Batman. Now, we could talk about Batman versus Superman, but come on. I am firmly in the Batman camp. Miranda's in the Superman camp. And really, when you think about it, the guy is wearing blue tights over his red underwear. That's pretty camp, if you ask me. At least our guy, Batman, basic black, he knows what the hell he's doing. He's working at night. Who would be seen in red and blue in the middle of the night? It just doesn't work. So get yourself ready to talk Batman and any other things you want here on the Great American Broadcast Network. This is Getting Geeky with your guest host, Revelstoke Jim. Revelstoke Jim will take your Skype calls in just a moment.
All right. Hey, guess what? I found it. I knew I had it in my files somewhere because that's what a good general manager does. He keeps track of everything. So let me just uh, let me do this properly. Rin, this is for you. the way this show should have started. I got that out of the way. I'm Revelstoke Jim sitting in for the Queen of Gabnet herself, Miranda Janelle. That makes me the King of Gabnet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And the Skype lines are open if you want to give me a call. We are talking about stuff. Stuff that is... uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. I taint talking about nothing uh and yeah there we go i'm just going to wait see if anybody wants to talk to me i don't even know if i can do a show because i had such crappy internet service earlier trying to talk to gabnet's own alex bennett in new york city it just didn't it didn't seem to be doing anything i kept getting disconnected so i don't know if i can actually maintain an encoder signal at the same time I have a Skype line open. But if you want to contact me, GabNet Live is the Skype number 347-352-0079. We are definitely fueled by alcohol tonight. So let me just say this right now. Batman. Uh, Of course, the best. But you can't. You just... Uh, you can't compare him to the modern-day Batman. Adam West is Batman. Adam West was my first Batman. Uh, I have seen earlier Batman, but I'm just saying, because of 1966 Batman, I am. Uh, that's where I'm connected. That's where I'm. Uh, that's where my heart is. That's where my bat lies. But when you're talking modern Batman. Okay, let's just uh uh can can we even can we even get past Michael Keaton? I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't want to be one of those guys who goes and apologizes because they love Michael Keaton as Batman. Now, I'm not crazy about the Michael Keaton Batmobile. Okay, that's a whole different subject. This show at the moment is being Bat-centric about the actual Batman himself. All right? But I uh, I have a real warm spot for Michael Keaton as Batman. And we all know who Batman is. Fictional crime-fighting superhero created by artist 
Bob Kane and writer Bill Finger, first appearing in Detective Comics, number 27, back in 1939, originally named The Batman. You may know him as the, cra- the, the Caped Crusader, the Dark Knight, and of course, the world's greatest detective. Take that, Sherlock Holmes. In daytime, he hides his superhero persona by living the life of Bruce Wayne, American billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. Hey, I can't be drunk. I can say philanthropist. And owner, of course, of Wayne Enterprises, who witnessed the tragic murder of his parents as a child, and he swore revenge on criminals. Now, my parents were not murdered by uh, criminals when I was a child, but I have taken an oath myself. I have taken the Batman oath. Uh, When I see injustice, I step up. I don't look good in tights anymore. I used to. Thank God the more modern Dark Knight has switched more towards a Kevlar-type situation. Because as a kid, I had the, uh, I had the, uh, I'm telling you right now, I had the Adam West costume. I was out there in the gray tights. And while I could carry it off, well, no, I'm actually, I'm not going to be apologetic about it. I'm telling you right now, as a kid and as an adult, I have great legs. Right, Kitty? Yes, thank you for acknowledging that. Yes, I have great legs, and I could carry off a 1966 Batman Adam West look if I had to. But I would be more comfortable personally now as the so-called Dark Knight. Uh, If you also didn't know, Batman, of course, does not possess any superpowers. He doesn't need the crutch of a yellow sun, like that son of a bitch from Krypton. Anybody could be born on another planet and blasted off to Earth and grow up to be some sort of superhero. Come on, it happens all the time. I'm telling you right now, takes a real man to step up Put on the armor, go out, and have your ass kicked night after night. I I guess it doesn't hurt to have billions of dollars. See, that's the thing. Years ago, years ago, and you can find them on DVD, uh, Batman made... His debut in cinema. Let me just double check this. Of course, you may be aware of the uh, the Batman, nineteen sixty six. Adam West, Burt Ward, all that good stuff. But there is also. 
Batman, the complete 1943 movie serial collection, available on DVD. Now, the Batman is a little chunkier in those days. His ear is a little floppier. He seemed to live in the suburbs and would enter the Batcave through the door in a grandfather's clock. Yet he had a butler. Listen, I know a lot of people living in ranch homes in the suburbs, uh, not a lot of bachelors. But I, I tell you to this day, if you can go on to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, go ahead and find yourself uh, Batman 1943. There's also another one, Batman and Robin. Uh, let me just double check what year that was, because I want to be able to give you 1949 movie serial. And it's equally as fun. I think the Batmobile is a Plymouth. And you can tell when they're being Batman and Robin, um, whether or not they have the top up or down on the convertible. It's really cool. What happens is they they exit the Batcave in the Plymouth, or I think it's actually parked out front of the ranch house. And they drive to the crime, and Robin, like a high school girl on a prom night, gets dressed in the back seat of the Batmobile. And I'm not sure if he actually trades places with uh, Bruce Wayne so he can jump in the back seat and change into his tights and his floppy ears. Now, I know you're all thinking, wow, they've made great advances in the whole Batman suiting up situation. I have a soft spot for the good old homoerotic days of Batman just pulling off to the side of the road and slowly slipping into his tights. Yeah, those were the good old days. Anyway, hey, did I remember to tell you that the Skype lines are open? Gabnet Live, 347-352-0079 or Gabnet Live on Skype. I know you may just be sitting back thinking, I'm going to listen to this guy to see just exactly. You know, if the RCMP showed up right now in the log broadcasting center and said, Revelstoke Jim, here, blow into this thing and uh, uh, let, let's see sort of if you are available and legally allowed to podcast at the moment. So hang on. Uh, I think I got one of these around here somewhere. Hang on. <sighs> Okay, hang on. What's that say? That says 1.5. I'm good for podcasting. I actually am. I'm totally fine. Right, Kitty? Yeah, I'm fine. Kitty says I'm Kitty says I'm good. And I listen to the Kitty because the Kitty the Kitty knows. Who knows the evil that men do? The kitty knows. 
There we go. Uh, I can't believe you people are just not clogging up the lines in an attempt to discuss your favorite Batman. We have, as I said, Adam West. I almost said Kirk Allen, but uh, he was a Superman way back. That's right. I invoked the name of Kirk Allen, probably one of the goofier-looking Supermen in uh, movie history. Let's see. Uh, let me remind myself who played. Oh, I take it back. I think Batman's Batmobile in 1949 was an Oldsmobile. Ah, that would explain so much. Uh, I don't know. Let me check. Let me go to the uh, to the source, Internet Movie Database. By the way, did you know that Revelstoke Jim himself is in the Internet Movie Database? That's right. You can find me there. Uh, IMDb, uh, Batman. Let me just uh, look up Batman. Hi, Mark. How are you? You know, um, the thing about Kirk Allen with yeah. those where the really crappy replacement, really bad animation sequences, whenever he was going to fly. Yes. It would cut to that really bad. Oh, sight. yeah. Horrible. Uh, man. <laughs> and, and there was something about, okay, uh, in the 80s, there was a theater in New York. I think it was the film form. And they were playing, they had The Tingler, the Vincent Price movie. Right. And they were also showing some of the uh, the 40s Batman shorts. And, you know, because it was The Tingler, they actually had The Tingler mechanisms under some of the seats in the theater, the vibrator. Right. Well, do you know there was that thing, uh, the way how Robin would kind of like leap in the battle. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, we were there for a different movie. I think it was um, Twilight of the Cockroaches, but we had to sit through whatever, whatever it was. But I'll never forget, we were laughing so hard that who, the projectionist, whenever Robin would leap off the screen, he would turn on the Tingler device. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Yeah, I, 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 I was like, wow, you know, it was like there were just some movie serial fails, and I guess when you were a kid back, and that must have been the most amazing thing to see. Now you watch it, and it's it's a curio. It's an interesting curio. Yeah. Now I'm looking, and I see that Batman in 1949 in the serial was Robert Lowry, again. Uh, uh, wearing the wool suit, not, not, not really exactly buff. Uh, <laughs> and then in 1943, it was Lewis Wilson. Uh, again, uh, a name lost to history, floppy ears and all. That's fine. Yeah. The bat might ears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Come on, these guys, these guys were, 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 were drinking, uh, were drinking whiskey, smoking luckies. Uh, it was a job they were doing to show up. Oh, I'm going to be the Batman down at RKO this week or something. And, and that's what they did. They, it's well, not, 
like they well, were working funny. out. Weren't, they, weren't those done by, produced by Columbia? Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a quick look, see if I can find the information. Yes, Columbia. Yes. Now, isn't that funny? The same unit that produced the Three Stooges shorts. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, was, there could have been a great crossover. Oh, Batman yeah. The, the Three Stooges. That would have been fantastic if they could have done that. Curly uh, Howard is the Batman. yeah uh that would have been cool um but you know who i really liked from way back when from those serials and a lot of people uh uh again you can find all these you can find them on dvd and uh and a lot of people get the name confused they call him commander cody it's commando cody yeah, and Rocky. and radar men on the uh, radar men from the moon. That's a great one. Sky Marshal of the universe. Uh, uh, Commando Cody versus the Moon Menace. Those things are great. I just love those, and I'm I'm really surprised that somebody hasn't uh, somebody hasn't. I mean, yes, they did the Rocketeer. Okay, yeah. which which <laughs> Which was a great movie, but it's it's that's the Rocketeer. That's not Commando Cody. Uh, I just uh, I uh, I love those. I just I could just watch those forever. Proctor and Bergman from the Firestein Theater did Jamin Forever, and the way they mashed all those serials, including (laughs) Commando Cody, uh, (laughs) they called him the Rocket Jock. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Oh. And what's really cool is on when the when Jamin finally got released on DVD, one of the extras they interviewed the actor who played Commando Cody. Yeah, which I thought was you know there's there's you know uh, Phil and Peter, and this old guy he's just so happy that people remembered him. You know, talking about his recollections working back then on serials. Uh, back in that day, it was a lot of fun. I got, jeez, I, you know, I used to, I used to know, off the top of my head, uh, the name of the actor, and now it's escaped me. It yeah. could, it could have something to do with the Scotch. Uh, uh, Judd Holdren. Yes. Yes. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah. I just, that's great. By the way, uh, just for those of you who are really interested in this kind of crap the batman and robin serial from 1949 uh, the bad guy one of the bad guys well the, he's not the main bad guy but the henchman is um clayton moore yes yeah and that that's just kind of cool and you as soon as you hear him you go oh my god i know that voice oh yeah yeah that is just and that's just one of those voices Oh my God, Clayton, Tom Tyler, although those guys are great. I mean, um, can you, you at, can you Glenn imagine? Strange, I think I would also. Well, not so much Gwen, but they were working Joes. You know, that's what they did. Yeah, can you imagine that life back then? Uh, you know, you're working a couple of weeks on on this serial. You're working a couple of weeks on that serial. Oh, uh, you got some radio work to do. I'm going to go do that. Uh, I could just, I mean, the life of a working actor, I can assume from people I know is, it's just not the easiest thing to begin with. But when they were producing that kind of stuff, it's like, uh, 
again, it's fast talking. You, you show up. It's 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 second unit directors and stuff, and assistant directors with fedoras and their shirt sleeves rolled up, and and they're saying, "Okay, you go. Yeah, you're gonna you're the bad guy. You're gonna run through this building here. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. Uh, oh yeah, it's gonna be on. It's gonna be on fire. Don't worry about that." Yeah, it shouldn't bother you whatsoever. <laughs> you know, it's not like there was great safety stuff. They were trying to produce content because they had to get this stuff out. Uh, yeah, but I, I was always particular. What was it? Radio Ranch? The one that had the underground city. Uh, I was always particular to that, you know, <laughs> you know, the secret underground ancient city with advanced technology. Yeah, wow. with those great line decker special effects. Oh, there is a great book. Uh, there is a great book about um, uh, the line deckers and and their special effects and the work they did with uh, RKO and and just all that stuff is just yeah, there's, you know what, Jim? Even a reissue of soundtracks from those uh, serials, and I just can't remember who did it. I mean, but it was freshly recorded. Right. And there was some damn good music that, you know, very, you know, very good music for that, for the, that, that stuff. Oh, absolutely. And you, you, when you think about how, how quickly it was having to be produced and just, okay, yeah, we have content. We have to go, because after all, in a way, uh, in a way, serials were like the original binge watching. I mean, this stuff needed to be produced so it could be shown week after week and stuff had to be out there and it had to be completed. But, uh, and I've said this before. I mean, I am a, uh, I am a, just a, I'm a junkie for, for backlot stuff i love old hollywood backlots i love i love 40 acres uh long gone but the rko backlot the uh, the mgm backlot i love to see stuff reproduced or not reproduced i love to see stuff filmed over and over from different angles and and recognize things it's like with mgm you can tell when they uh uh they would build a set for a movie and it would get used in that movie. And then any TV series on the MGM lot would wind up using it. All the different TV shows would use it. It would show up on things like man from uncle uh, and just all this other stuff. It would get used over and over uh, shot from different angles, redressed. And it's just, you would think it would, as a viewer, it might piss you off, but I find it rather endearing. There is a, I've been rewatching all my Perry Masons and for some reason, uh, you know, <laughs> there is a, there is a front hall set that has a flight of stairs and there's a very particular newel post. And it's been, it gets redressed throughout for example, season six, which I just finished. And I think I've, okay, there's like 35 episodes in season six. I think I saw it at least 25 different times throughout season six as somebody else's house, somebody. And I guess back then, if you were watching it week to week, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't pay attention. But when you're watching them over and over quickly on DVD, you go, 
That's the same damn set. It's like the set from, um, oh, the main stairway and the front room from the Big Valley. A very ornate set of stairs, uh, curving that goes up and carpeted. And you would see that in, in things like Get Smart, in just other TV shows. And it just, it just, there's a real quaintness to it. I, I don't know. I just, like I said, I, know, I love I it. I know in the 60s. I know because Desilu bought the old RKO. Right. Uh, there was that Twilight Zone used MGM. Yep. You, you know, so yeah, you, you would recognize certain things after a while. But hey, you know, uh, Warners too. You know, especially oh, yeah. they were making Westerns with Warners for television. Oh, it was like, gee, yeah. where have we seen this, you know? Uh, that that was like when they were using uh, old Tucson for just about so many westerns, right, right? Yeah, or or just the fact, the fact, even though it's been rebuilt from from fires, uh, just the fact that the Melody Ranch still exists, and you know, I mean, again, most people recently have known it from uh, uh, Deadwood, but I, it just it goes. I mean. Uh, um, uh, well, I mean, the movie, the bootlegging movie with uh, Bruce Willis made by Walter Hill a few years earlier, Last Man Standing, S same damn town. I mean, uh, if you want to give yourself a real treat, go on to Google Earth and look up, uh, look up the Melody Ranch. It's, it's got another name as well, but you'll find it. And there is in the middle of this suburban neighborhood is this Western town. It's just like, uh, I mean, Disney wound up buying it, but it was used. Uh, uh, I think I'm trying to remember who else. I think Paramount owned it beforehand. And that is uh, Golden Oaks. Yeah. The, uh, the big, a lot of Oak trees. You'd recognize it on film right away. There's a, there's a, there's a pond and there's a covered bridge. And, uh, Oh God, it was used in so many episodes uh, in the, in the later years of Bonanza, it was always, it was some part of the Ponderosa. It just, that kind of stuff just, that just tickles me. And the fact that, again, Paramount had that wonderful Western Street that was Bonanza. And now it's, it's a parking lot for the lot. I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, Westerns fell out of favor. Things things go away. But uh, I have a wonderful, in my image library of stuff, I have a wonderful overhead shot of that Western Street and then a modern picture in the from the same perspective of the fact that it's just a, a, a parking lot with a big screen in the background. And they actually shot a whole bunch of, uh, they used it for... Uh, uh, a bunch of the Star Trek movies because yeah. it was a big open space. But uh, I miss, like I said, I miss that stuff. But again, uh, real estate becomes expensive and studios didn't want to carry those costs and they figured, what the hell, we don't need this stuff. I mean, how many backlots did MGM have? They had, I mean, they had, yeah. They had they had acres back in their days, you know, from the twenties up until nineteen, you know, the fifties. They had, you know, the, these these backlots were um, were amazing. Yeah, you know, there were there were cities within cities 
a whole industry unto themselves, Jim. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when they, when they got to the, almost like to the end of their life, it was like, you know, they were making uh, what was the show with Vic Morrow combat. And they were like, okay, we're just going to blow the hell out of whatever we have left because it's, uh, we got a war series here. It's, it's, well, do you know, what's really telling stunt pilot, uh, the late Paul Mance, right. You know, he got killed, unfortunately doing flight of the Phoenix. Right. At that time, he had owned so many airplanes. He had the third largest air force. Now think about that. He had so many airplanes under his ownership. You know, for the movies and TV. It was just this amazing amount of aircraft that he owned. And, you know, for parts and, for, you know, that or hero shots or whatnot. But that's what, what his business was to provide aircraft and aviation services to the movie trade, right. the TV trade. It was amazing that, you know, you can do that. And the other thing is, you know, especially you got to think that a studio would have carpentry shops, greens. I mean, like I said, truly a city unto itself. That, yeah, there is a great book about the MGM backlots and and the carpentry shops and just every I mean the the plaster shops all this stuff that uh, uh, they would create because nobody went anywhere and and then things changed and it was like oh you know what we can go on well we can go on uh, we can go on location and we can start doing this stuff because uh, there isn't but to me there is nothing like watching an old movie and seeing. You know, I'll, I'll give you one for example. Um, to Have and Have Not with Humphrey Bogart. And they're supposed to be in the Caribbean. And it's in a studio and there's a great big harbor set. And half of the, half of the studio is flooded and there's a boat operating <laughs> inside inside the studio building and i just love that it's like and then there's all this forced perspective stuff was, wait a minute there was that one esther williams uh, movie that she did that had it was supposed to be like a you know a stage production within the movie right this impossibly big pool <laughs> that's supposed to be the center part of this movie and there is no way you know it turned out that was like one of the largest indoor pools you know <laughs> That they built for her. Yeah. And it's just insane when you think that they can do this, they can pull it off. You know, um, but there's still, you know, out there, there's still, you still have the 007 set, I think. Unless it, did that get burned down in Pinewood? It, it has been burnt down in the past, but it's always been rebuilt. Yeah. You know, you still have studios. Um, That's another, uh, Pinewood is another great one to go look up. Google Earth on because they have a great uh, they have a great outdoor uh, they have a great water tank that you can see from the outside like a big open uh, uh, there's a huge screen like uh, you would ex it, it's almost like a uh, it, it's much bigger but it's like a uh, a drive-in movie screen uh, that they can paint and do other things and then there's a uh, it, it, there's a uh, a big sort of open pit, and then within that open pit, there's even a deeper pit in the middle. 
and you look at that from the air and Google Earth, and it's just, uh, you think about the stuff that has been filmed in that pit, and it's just amazing. Now, you know that there are two countries, a gauntlet with production, Prague and Romania. Right. Because they've had movie industries just as old as we have. Right. But they're still going strong. Right. And it's interesting because um, I saw something. It was uh, Crispin Glover was showing off um, one. Of, he was doing some work at one of the studios in Prague. I think the big studio. And he was. They were looking at the costume department. And you hadn't seen anything like that since the old MGM, you know, days. It, it was just amazing to see that. My God, they still do this kind of workmanship, you know, <laughs> for costumes. I'm it's trying just amazing. to. I'm trying to think. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They shot in Prague, and they had all these sets built. And they and Prague suffered this really massive flooding. Yep. And they just lost like seventy five percent of their of their built sets. Just got flooded out and just went went bye bye. And and of course that impacted on the uh, on the production and the uh, and the uh, and the budget and things like that. But uh, uh, no, and it's just like uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what the big what the big studio in Berlin is that they shot no, there was, there was Das Ufa. Boot. Oh no, that that was uh, Munich. Yeah, I that's uh, Munich. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm just I was trying to remember what that was off the top of my head, but I can't do it. Uh, yeah, uh, when I visited Berlin, we drove through the area where Ufa was. Right. Of course, it's not there any, but it was nice that that was pointed out. Right. Right, Munich also the uh, uh, the home base of uh, one of the uh, the coolest movies of 1962, uh, that being the uh, 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 the Great Escape, and that uh, yeah, I just uh, you know the funny thing, Jim, when you consider about movies, war especially war movies made in the 60s, yes, a lot of the German crews. We're not, we're like ex-German, you know, it was like, boy, that must have been uncomfortable, you know. Yeah, but the, you, there's something. Hey, hey, for, hey, why do you look familiar? Oh, no, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there is something. Okay, obviously, uh, the 1960s did play host to a lot. I mean, oh, come on, it was like 20 years later. There yeah, was. there thing with Paris is burning, you know. Right. Uh, there, there was. There advisors were, right you know, but, that, and it was like in i think even orson wells commented on it that i don't believe this you know um there, there was a lot of there was a lot of movies in the 60s 20 years later looking back at world war ii now some of them unfortunately just kind of brought the sensibilities and and the look of the 60s i mean i'm sorry but uh as much as i get a kick out of it uh kelly's heroes is not even though it's set in world war ii uh i don't know what the hell donald sutherland was doing in that movie but uh he was uh, uh he was not bringing a uh, world war ii sensibility to it uh and that there was sort of that weird, uh, and it's like uh, where eagles dare. Uh, that was also another one. 
Uh, oh, you know, and you know what movie I re- sadly, because I'm very, I am a World War II movie fan. Uh, one of my favorites uh, being earlier, though, in black and white, uh, uh, Battleground, having to do with the Battle of the Bulge. And uh, you got you got Van Johnson. You got all these great character actors. You got uh, Ricardo Montalban even shows up in that movie. Uh, James Whitmore. But uh, you get the you get these '60s things, uh, Battle of the Bulge with Henry Fonda and Robert Shaw. First off, it's hampered by some really crappy blue screen stuff, and uh, I just you would think it's the Battle of the Bulge. How can you how can you screw up the Battle of the Bulge? Well, it just uh, somebody trying to make it better. It just didn't work. Whereas I like, for example, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the producer Zanuck, uh, The Longest Day. That's a pretty good movie. Otto Preminger's, Otto Preminger's The Longest Day. No, There's a really bizarre one. Do you remember Castle Keep? Yeah, it sounds very, wasn't Scott Glenn in that? No, it's a different uh, movie. No, no, you're thinking, you're thinking oh, the of uh, the tomb. Oh, okay. Thank you. Castle, yeah, Castle Keep, I think, you look, look it up. It, it okay. was just a very interesting but very bizarre, like, could something like this have really have happened? <laughs> oh, yeah, 1969. That's right. Yes. Oh, I remember this movie now. Yes. Burt Lancaster, Peter Falk, Tony Bill. Yeah. Bruce Dern, even. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the end of World War II, a small company of American GIs occupy an ancient castle. Their commander has an affair with the countess in residence. Uh, um, you know what? This reminds uh, Well, it just makes me think of a movie from or set in World War II that actually is not, is actually kind of funny, but um, uh, The Secret War of Harry Frigg. Yes. With, with yes. Paul Newman. And and yes. Tom uh, and he's like a private who is sent in to rescue all these uh, uh, generals who have been held as prisoners of war in Italy by Vito Scotti, I think, <laughs> who showed up everywhere. Uh, oh, by th- oh God, Castle Keep was directed by Sidney Pollock. Yep. Wow. Okay, bad bad World War Two film. Uh, but if you're going to say Burt Lancaster, World War II films, uh, you almost have to say, uh, you just have to say The Train by John Frankenheimer. That's a pretty good movie. Oh, you just rolled your eyes at me. After a while, they became very formality. Yeah. But then again, you had someone, you know, you had to me like, a, and I, sadly, he's almost forgotten, Alistair McLean with the, uh, Guns of Navarone. Oh, God. Yeah, the Guns of Navarone. And it's a shame because people forget that Alistair McLean was, he was the adventure rider. Oh, yeah. Cussler. Right. And and he's young. I didn't realize how young he was. Every guy had like an Alistair McLean. I mean, that paperback. I mean, he was the guy. You'd go, uh, you know, I remember going to a uh, barber. And there would, besides the Argosy magazines and, 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 and the Playboys, and there'd be these, these, these paperbacks, uh, these Alistair McLean novels. Uh, 
but guns of Navarone. Uh, funny, I mean, uh, again, I mean, what you got? Uh, Gregory Peck. You've got uh, Anthony Quinn. You've got David Niven. David Niven. Anthony Quayle. Uh, oh God, who's the young guy that I hate? Uh, 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 he was sort of the beefcake of the day. J- uh, James Darren, maybe I think is is who I'm thinking. But uh, yeah, you've got this. Is, yeah, it was a it was a cool movie. But I off every time I hear the Guns of Navarone, I think they're of a Dick Van Dyke episode where where <laughs> where there was a there was a burglary or something, and uh, they were they thought maybe Dick Van Dyke was part of it and. Something having to do with him having a, a fight with his wife, Laura, and he had gone to the drive-in. To, uh, that was his alibi. He'd gone to the drive-in and he'd seen the guns of Navarone, but he fell asleep. And everybody kept saying, you fell asleep during the guns of Navarone? Like, how is that even possible? But no, that's a, again, that's a great movie. I mean, the scene where they, uh, uh, the scene where the, the small ship the small boat kind of gets uh, battered by the rocks in the storm kind of goes on for a long time, but I, I know I love that move. I haven't. Yeah. Uh, then what was the, what was the sequel force 10 from Navarone with, with Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford? Yeah. That's kind of tough. That's. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, it was like, now you do the follow-up. You, you know, if it, it, it's funny because if I was that that studio head, I would have said immediately get the the other part of the book into production, while you can still get the cast members. But yeah. they didn't have that kind of foresight. Right. Well, I, I was just thinking uh, the the cool thing about Guns of Navarone, uh, wonderful English character actor James Robert Justice. Yeah, he you know is the guy. He was also in the Doctor in the House movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. For God's sake, I mean, you just knew him right away. But I'm just looking at '60s uh, World War II movies. Uh, I've already mentioned The Great Escape. We've talked about. I mentioned uh, Where Eagles Dare. Uh, we've said The Guns of Never Owned the Train, The Longest Day. Uh, uh, I guess we can't we can't ignore. Uh, Lee Marvin's The Dirty Dozen, which which got a lot of attention back then. Yeah, I mean that was that was 1967, uh, and then my God, they made all those uh, they made all those horrible. Well, I think there was three of them uh, TV re, uh, continuations. I don't want to say say remakes, but uh, continuations of the the next Dirty Dozen, the Dirty Dozen after that kind of thing uh but let's see uh the great escape where he goes there battle of britain again i own it it's not one of my favorite but i own it to me i liked it i like that movie a lot because they really you know uh i never even that was the first time i, I knew you know it was like oh my god this happened and it, you know i just thought it was fascinating of uh and, you know, you look at it now, yeah, it's a little dated. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it, the history behind it, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, later on you have like a bridge too far. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a 
love hate with the bridge too far at times. There's times I watch it and I go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm really happy with it. And then there's times where it's like, you know, it's not, you know, it's just not doing it for me. It's, it, I can, again, it, I don't know if it holds up. Again, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's sacrilege to say I'm not a big Patton fan. I know a lot of people, well, it's interesting from vets I knew who served under Patton. They was not, he was not popular. I mean, yeah, he got results, but he, he really he was a bastard. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes in real life you need that, but. Oh, no. I, yeah, yeah. But I just, I, I don't think I'm a fan of the movie. Um, and then, and then George C. Scott comes back years later and. And and does the sequel? Yeah, yeah does follow up? Yeah, and it's just that's kind of sad in a way. Uh, let's see what else. Lee Marvin and uh, Toshiro Mofuni in uh, Hell in the Pacific. Very underrated. Yeah, very, very. Uh, I'm looking at some other stuff. Uh, not oh. too many actors could go toe to toe with the great Toshiro Mufune. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, you have to. Uh, you got to give it to Marvin for. Yeah, that is just, that's a pretty cool movie. And uh, one movie I really, um, I really enjoyed. And uh, and then I'm trying to think of what the, uh, uh, what's the, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what the hell is the, uh, it'll, it'll come to me in a second. But uh, first off, the one I'm thinking of, uh, I really enjoy Von Ryan's Express. With Frank Sinatra and, uh, and uh, oh, God, Trevor, what's his name? Uh, yeah, well, there we go. Uh, way to go, Jim. Uh, Von Ryan's Express. Trevor Howard, that's right. And, of course, it wouldn't be a Frank Sinatra movie if Brad Dexter wasn't in that movie somewhere. But, uh, no, I like that one. You know why? Because, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but... Back then, they they wouldn't, they weren't afraid of making a movie with a with an ending that you didn't expect. Like it, it just didn't wrap up all nicely. Uh, I mean, uh, people could die in a movie. Sorry, folks, but people could die in a movie that, uh, uh, and it, they would still make it. They would. It's like oh, you know what? It's like the remake of uh, the Omega Man. Whatever, whatever the thing with Will Smith was called, it's just you know what people die. You can have a movie where people die. Don't don't try to make it all fluffy. Uh, another great movie, Otto Preminger, uh, John Wayne, Kirk Douglas, uh, In Harm's Way. I like that one. Stanley Kramer's Judgment at Nuremberg, which yeah, both versions, the TV version he did first, uh, right, and the movie version, right. Uh, and- I- I don't have much to say about John Wayne and the Green Berets. I do own it, but yeah. Um, uh, One that's a particular favorite, and I'm not just saying this because I'm friendly with the family, uh, Sam Fuller's Big Red One. Oh, the Big Red, yeah. Just on the other night, uh, in fact, and I was watching it again. And uh, Lee Marvin. Yeah. And and that's the movie where I realized Mark Hamill is a really, really good actor. That whole scene where they wind up at the it's insane asylum. 
<laughs> you know, it's just yeah. That, you know, it's all based on what Sam went through. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's it it. I put that movie right up there with um, Peck and Paw's adaptation of uh, Cross of Iron. Oh, with, uh, with James Coburn. Yeah, because the writer. God, I just blanked. I'm like you right now. Yeah. Well, it's late. It's based it's... on it's based on a trilogy of books about the character, and it's interesting because I've always been fascinated with like All Quiet on the Eastern Front, right. the original story. You know, right. Plus, my my grandfather fought for the Kaiser. You know, uh, there's two sides to a war, and. I'm not talking about anything or anyone who was involved with genocide, you know, the gassing and whatnot, but the foot soldier, the poor schlub who had to, you know, just like survive. And and any any side, there's a story there. And that's that's what's interesting. Uh, And when they restored the big red one, yeah, they did leave intact the subplot of the one uh, German sergeant i think who survived you know you know sort of i guess he did survive uh the big you know that movie so i thought that was kind of interesting that sam actually acknowledged that you know but uh you know talk about you know that in a, in a good war movie hell of a yarn yeah you know? Yeah, i i'm just looking at a list of uh some other ones that i wanted to cover for sure um this is, again, 60s World War II movies. Uh, one I really enjoyed because, well, frankly, I uh, I enjoy James Garner. 36 Hours is really an interesting movie. Uh, it doesn't get... Uh, what was... We were, I think we talked about this, where he's the Navy diver. Up Periscope, I think. I think. Up, up with Alan Hale. Yeah, yeah, Up Periscope, I and think. You know what? I remember reading the book first before I saw the movie and right. I realized, my God, this is a good adaptation of the book because it was all there. Right. And I think there's also, I think it's world war two. There was one, uh, with James Widmark called frogmen, uh, around the same time, uh, a British film from the beginning of the sixties, which is really interesting. Uh, one of my favorite English actors, uh, Kenneth Moore called sink the Bismarck. Yes. And there's not a boat or a ship in sight of this. I mean, <laughs> there. it's basically a movie about the sinking of the Bismarck, all told within the confines of, uh, 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 you know, the offices of the, uh, uh, of the Navy. I mean, it's all, there's no great battle scenes for such an amazing battle. Yeah, no, it's it sort of the private lives of what was happening. Kenneth Moore, uh, uh, again, that great movie as, uh, as Douglas Bader, uh, uh, the, uh, the British pilot who lost his legs. Uh, that is, uh, that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, what else here is, let me just go. Uh, uh, oh, well, you- good one. I guess you could, you could, the archers, um, Life and Times of Colonel Blimp. Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. Yes. God, it's been a long time since I've seen that, Pressburger too. And Powell, Powell and Pressburger, yeah. Uh, also, 1962, uh, uh, McQueen, 
Coburn, Bobby Darren, Fess Parker, and Bob Newhart. Hell is for Heroes, directed by uh, uh, Don Siegel, later of uh, Dirty Harry fame and such. Uh, a really great movie. Uh, you've got William Holden in The Devil's Brigade towards the end of the 60s. And then two movies that uh, uh, are kind of close to me because my my namesake, my Uncle Jim, uh, was a uh, mosquito pilot during World War II. And you've got 633 Squadron. With, 60, yeah, we saw, yeah, I yeah. actually saw that in the theater. With, uh, with Cliff Robertson. Yep. And then you've got Mosquito Squadron, 1969, with uh, um, um, Ilya Kuriarkin, David McCallum. <laughs> and, and I just, yeah, I own those two movies. And it's primarily... Uh, uh, Mosquito. Well, that was like I always, I always had a particular favorite Dam Busters. Oh, okay. I wanted to I wanted to talk about Dam Busters because okay, here we are talking '60s movies, World War II, and in the '50s you have all these World War II movies where it's it's much closer to when the events happened, and it seems like in the '50s the movies were um, they were. They were more serious regarding the war. You got the bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, you've got, uh, let's see, uh, uh, the Desert Fox with James uh, Mason, the story of Rommel. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, one of my, where is it here? One of my fa favorites. Um, well, you got Stalag 17. You got the great British film, The Cruel Sea. You got the Desert Rats, the Cane Mutiny, the Dam Busters, uh, a great movie. I, I'm, I'm really concerned about Peter Jackson remaking this movie. No, I, 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 I don't know. There's, I think this one might be interesting to see. You know, I, I've been more hoping he would have done his World War One epic that he wanted to do. Um, but it's interesting, you know, getting back, back to Dam Busters, because that was such an interesting, you know, you don't think about that, you know, the whole idea of the skip bombing. Oh yeah. And how it worked, you know, they, they made it work and <laughs> I tell you, it did the job, you know, it was like, I have a box set of DVDs of, uh, of British World War II movies. Uh, the Dam Busters is in it. Uh, the Cruel Sea is in it. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I'd, ha I'd have to go back and, and it, it's just, there's a, there's a great uh, uh, Northern Africa movie in it with Richard Attenborough. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Uh, there's just some really good ones. Uh, oh, I think even uh, Above Us, The Waves about the uh, the attack of the uh, on the on the turpits uh, which is much better than that uh, oh god what was that one called project x from like late like 1969 with uh, james Kahn teaching the brits how to maneuver all these uh, midget submarines that are going to <laughs> attack the turpits and things like that but uh, you've got uh, what else from the 50s battle cry um, oh, the Colditz story, and 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 that wonderful TV show from the UK, Colditz. I mean, 
I used to watch that, and it's like, oh, this is cool. Oh, and uh, another one of my favorites, if you can find it, uh, uh, with Jose Ferrer directing and starring uh, the Cockle Shell Heroes. About the uh, the the team of kayakers uh, uh, sent up uh, the Bordeaux River to attack uh, German ships. Uh, uh, let's see what else. Fifties. Uh, uh, you got uh, Brando in the Young Lions. Oh, a really interesting one. William Holden, Trevor Howard, Sophia Loren. It's more of a love story kind of thing, but it, it covers a part of World War II that you don't think about much and that's the uh, uh the men who who manned the uh, the tugboats who did the salvage mission missions picking up the disabled ships and it was called the key uh very interesting but again it's uh mostly i watch it for sophia loren uh oh the the one the richard attenborough one in northern africa was the sea of sand of course you got gable and lancaster in Robert Wise's Run Silent, Run Deep. I love that movie. Um, uh, I Was Monty's Double is a great one. Uh, um, and what's the name with, what's, uh, hell, well, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, The Enemy Below, and, oh, there it is. I found it. Clifton Webb, one of the greatest, 1956, The Man Who Never Was. About trying to trick uh, the Germans into weakening Sicily's defenses and using a dead man released from a uh, submarine with false papers. Yep. Just an amazing movie when you think about it. I mean, the fact that uh, they went to that effort uh, and that it remained secret. You know, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say that uh, Melinda's rules. <laughs> I call her Melinda, but you may know her as Miranda. Uh, no, Miranda's rules are that getting geeky is only getting geeky when people are passionate about uh, certain subjects. Obviously, Mark and I seem to know what we're talking about uh, with uh, World War II movies, even though uh, I would never call myself an expert. But uh, there is just some amazing stuff out there. Uh, so if you get a chance to uh, see some of this stuff on uh, streaming services or, uh, or or I don't even know if people rent videos anymore, so uh, I I don't know. Go go to uh, go to a uh, go to a supplier. Go to Amazon. Go to whoever. Get yourself some stuff and see. Uh, let's see. Uh, any messages? No, because you know what. I don't follow Twitter on this show. Oh, actually, I have one new notification uh, from the cat himself who says, <laughs> uh, best World War II movie, Dirty Dozen Goes Beach Blanket Bingo. I don't remember that one. But I do remember the one with uh, uh, Christopher Reeve where they track down all the people responsible for killing the 50 in the great escape. What was that? Yeah. I'm trying to remember what that was called, but to this day, I'm sorry. I remember seeing the great escape as a kid and it, I have owned it in practically every format it has ever been released in. Uh, uh, Sturgis 
amazing director. It's an amazing cast. Uh, to this day, I can put it on, and I know what happens, and I can still find myself entertained by it. Uh, probably always will. And and be it that, yes, some of it is uh, uh, fixed up for the movies, so to say, uh, it's a great it's a great film. I love The Great Escape. I have to admit, it's just one of those. And I don't I just don't remember where or how I saw it first, probably on TV because it was 1962. Uh, and either my mother and father were watching it. And I'm sure I saw it on some black and white TV sometime. And and James Garner is looking cool in that white turtleneck. And and Steve McQueen is throwing that baseball. And James Coburn has the worst Australian accent in the world. And and there's Charles Bronson uh, saying, you know, 300 feet, a long way to dig. And, you know, and it's just, I love that movie. I just, in fact, I'm going to go watch that movie now, I think, <laughs> and go from there. Mark, thanks for joining me tonight. And... Uh, and helping me fill out the uh, uh, fill out the uh, the evening. Diana of the night says uh, 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 she's enjoying the tete-a-tete show with uh, uh, Marco Shark, and then it reminds her of something. But there's a link I have to uh, hang on. Let me read the whole thing. Uh, reminds me of the old Tom Snyder Tomorrow Show from the '70s. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. That's when uh, I, TV when when, <laughs> when when TV would just let two guys talk and just to, well, that when, was like the original the original CBS overnight with Charlie Rose. Yeah, it, it was just like who's he going to have on next? You know, it, it was just it was just great. You know. Uh, but I watched a lot of those Tom Snyder's when they first aired, and uh, he was good. I gotta tell, I gotta admit, he was another one when he was on top of his game. Boy, he was good. But <laughs> yeah, um, you know, um, um, I uh, I think I've told the story before when uh, when Play TV was on the air, uh, I contacted Tom Snyder and talk to him about possibly doing something web related with play TV. Cause I thought that would be cool. I, I like Tom Snyder and I just thought that would be something really interesting. So I sent him some, uh, I, I just, I kept sending these emails and then he started responding and, and, and then, uh, I got the actual messages saying, okay, fine. You've been sending me all these messages. I will, I will watch the shows and tell you what I, you know, and 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 let you know. And so he uh, he watched. I don't know what he. I think he watched me. I think he watched Alex. I think he may have watched Kiki. And he wrote back a very nice letter saying, "Okay, um, it seems really interesting, but uh, yeah, I don't know about it. But after all." I mean, it was very early back. I mean, who knew anything about broadcasting on the internet? And he wasn't about to uh, 
uh, just dive in and say, yeah, okay. But it was just probably one of the coolest. If, if, if you could have, did you approach him? Hey, Tom, you can say whatever you, you yeah. can say. You can interview you, whoever you want. Yeah. Don't have the restrictions. Yeah. But it was, wow. it was 1998. I mean, not a lot. I mean, uh, trying to explain it. I mean, here I was in the middle of things, and I didn't understand exactly what we were doing at times, trying to explain it to somebody who, who had a career in TV and radio at the same And, I mean, Alex was in the middle of it, but trying to explain to somebody from the outside exactly, you know, hey, you could do this. But uh, I just, I always, to this day, I... And I have I have a clip of it on my iPod somewhere from the old show after uh, when he eventually came back to TV and he was on after Dave, and uh, he would encourage everyone to fire up the color teeny, sit back, relax, and watch the pictures now as they fly through the air, and it just I I think of that to this day and I get shivers. I just that is so cool and I. Uh, I just, yeah, God bless Tom Snyder and uh, uh, those that are like him. Mark, thanks very much for joining me. I seem to have sobered up somewhat tonight, <laughs> so I, appre yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, I have been Revelstoke Jim. I'm going to say goodnight to Mark now. Night, Mark. Uh, there he goes. And I'm going to say goodnight. And uh, it's been me, Revelstoke Jim, sitting in for the lovely... Queen of Gabnet herself, Miranda Janelle. Who, if I were a single man, I might want to marry, but she wouldn't have anything to do with me because A, I'm too old, and B, I'm not her type. I'm 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 grumpy at times, I'm telling you right now. But she is my friend. And uh, and uh, as is everybody on this network, I love all the people on this network. Everybody's a friend. Anyway, uh, Miranda will probably be back more than likely after delivering her ladder. Sometimes you have to deliver a ladder and sometimes you don't. But uh, I know she did. I own my own freaking ladder, so uh, I don't have to borrow anybody's. But she's young. There will be time for her to own her own ladder, as, uh, as we all do. So that's it. Come back tomorrow for Friday. Damien Chaplin's Exchange. Alex Bennett's Ramble. It's TV night. And, of course, uh, the last kind of live Revelstoke Jim's Canadian content on a Friday night on a regular basis for a while. Go to revelstokejim.com, not revelstokejim.com, Revelstoke Jim's Canadian content on Facebook. I'm changing up my schedule a bit. Friday nights will be more special nights every once in a while. You'll catch me on Wednesdays, I think. Until then, uh, I don't have, uh, let's see, do I have the... Uh, the Miranda goodbye music. Uh, da -da, da -da, da -da. No, I don't see it. I thought I had it. Damn. Well, when in doubt.
I know that the, that tune is Miranda Janelle Improved. That's Janelle with two L's, by the way. It's like the word llama, except she doesn't spit. I've been Revelstoke Jim sitting in for the Queen of Gabnet, so I have been your king for the evening. Thank you. If you've been paying attention to this, I'm going to go now and wrap a cold towel around my head because you know what? I'll probably have a hangover in the morning. I don't know how some people do this. I hope you had a nice night. Thank you, Mark, for joining us and anybody who was listening. And Miranda, return that damn ladder. Uh, this has been your uncle, Traveling Jim, saying, uh, I had a fun night. And I love you guys. <laughs> Give me a hug, kitty. My show is over. See you later.